I never thought I'd be hosting a podcast, but we are going strong. Today is a great time for you to get your message out there. And guess what? It's not that hard. Find the right partner. For us at the XM Podcast, that was Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout gets you listed in all the major podcast directories like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Follow the link in the show notes and let Buzzsprout know the XM Podcast sent you. Get a $20 credit after your second paid invoice. It really helps support our show. Welcome to the XM Podcast. Here is your host, mental health therapist, Matthew Kanebi. I am very hard on myself, dealt with severe anxiety. And it made me feel like a monster. I didn't have energy to care. There was just nothing more but to face what I had been running from. I'm already an anxiety-filled mess. It's just love. Like, it just goes back to love. So here we are getting close to wrapping up season four of the XM podcast. Thank you for supporting us. We have done 84 episodes of this podcast so far and looking forward to what God has for us in 2024. So one of my favorite things about hosting this show is getting to meet people who have experienced God's grace, his miracles and blessings. And today is no exception. Our guest has an incredible story that everyone needs to hear. She had a Holy Spirit encounter that was so timely that the world as she knows it would be completely different had she not experienced God in the very moment that he showed up. So without getting ahead of myself, please welcome to the show, Christine Boyle. Sure. So um, let's see. I'm a mom. Um, I have two kids, Courtney and Kevin. Um, Both of them have disabilities. So Courtney went home to Jesus. little over a year and a half ago. Hmm. She was 21 years old. Um, Our son, Kevin, is adopted from El Salvador. Been with us a little over 10 years. Um, I'm married to a teacher, sixth Hmm. grade math teacher, uh, Dan, and we've been married 21 years. And let's see, I work in ministry with students with disabilities with the Ministry Young Life Capernaum. So Hmm. that is a huge part of my life, all my friends through that. Um, And I just started a podcast about disability and faith called Invited In with Christine Boyle. And um, it actually just launched yesterday. And- wonderful. I'm not a podcast person. I've probably listened to maybe one or two episodes of a podcast, so this is all new to me, Um, but I'm super pumped to just um, hopefully connect with people who want to learn more about disability or just need encouragement in the world of disability and just get to share, you know, my story and experiences. So before we get into your story, um, you know, one of our big connections is Young Life, and I've talked about Young Life quite a bit on the podcast. Oh, cool. My wife and I um, have been very fortunate to to be on committee um, for for one of the areas um, here in Northeast Ohio. And she and I met in Young Life when we were kids. And, um, you know, all the people you and I have talked about, I mean, we're all just Young Life people. Yes. Talk to me, um, what you do in Young Life is a little bit um, specific mm-hmm. and unique. Um, so maybe talk about Capernaum a little bit sure. um, for our audience. Oh, I would love to. So um, Young Life Capernaum, since our friends with disabilities stay in school till age 22 or can, you know, receive special education services till 22, our age range is 14 to 22. Um, sometimes we have friends that have aged out and... I'm one of those that's like, I don't have a heart to totally make them leave, but sure. you know, camp's a hard no after 22. Yeah. Um, but really it's young life, but for kids with disabilities and young adults with disabilities, I mean, the craziness, the relationships, um, the discipleship, 
um, you know, we do campaigners, which is what Young Life calls their Bible studies, as you know. Yeah. Um, we do that twice a month in our home, um, Dan and I do, and we invite these kids in, which I'll be honest, we really started implementing that maybe in the last year and a half, and a lot of that was after my daughter passed away. I was able to take on some more hours and, and things with the ministry. Um, but to invite these kids who really don't get invited into homes, um, yeah. when you think about that, um, into our home, sit and eat a, eat a meal with them. Uh, Chick-fil-A donates chicken nugget trays oh, to yeah. us. And uh you know, we sit around and, and have a meal, and that might sound really simple, but again, in the world of disability where kids aren't being invited into people's homes, um, the way that, you know, typically developing kids are, or just, you know, other people in relationships without disability um, are invited into people's homes. It's been really impactful. It's really grown our ministry a lot and just those, yeah. um, those relationships. Um, and then we do club once a month. Um, and that's amazing. We love that. Crazy. Again, taking the same Young Life games, um, songs, all of that, and just making sure all of our friends, whether they're in a wheelchair or just have, you know, cognitive disabilities, whatever their disability may be, that it's totally accessible for them to participate in. Um, our club talks are very, uh, uh, I'm trying to think like just we try to use a lot of visuals and mm -hmm. you know you're obviously just making it that every kid in the room can understand so it's tricky it's yeah. different um, but we've seen our friends just grow in their faith um, kids that two years ago didn't know how to pray wouldn't pray that now are like, Jesus is the best, you know, it's yeah. awesome. So um, I love it. I believe in it with all my heart and young yeah. life sounds like similar to you has just been um, absolutely um, an amazing and huge yeah. part of my story. So yeah, there, there's a lot of great ministries out there. Mm -hmm. and, and young life is, is, is one of them. And you know, my my love of young life um, and my memories growing up were, you know, Monday nights at club, mm -hmm. And looking around, and, and Young Life, when I was in high school, was huge. I mean, we were talking hundreds and hundreds of kids That's on awesome. a Monday night. And I remember looking around, you know, being a Christian and just looking around and looking at people in the room going, I can't believe these that guy is hearing about Jesus tonight. Like, hmm. it, it was just like... The guys that you would walk around the high school and, and go, you know, that person's never going to be open to, to, wow. to Jesus. Yep. Young Life just has a way into those people's lives and, and, and why, you know, my wife and I have been just so passionate about it and um, love to get connected with you. And, yeah. you know, um, uh, you know, I, I was uh, your your story was kind of shared with me unbeknownst that you had a connection with the young right, life. And then, right. then that yes. just layer layered yep. on top of it, which was great yep. and stuff. So Yep. And one thing I would add about Young Life Capernaum, just being a mom to two kids with disabilities, I can say without a doubt, and we're a very active family, we've always had our kids involved in so much, nobody is doing what Young Life is doing for this population. Uh, it is true. so unique mm -hmm. in every way. Um, so it's fun for me because I get to say that as a mom, you know, yeah. not just a ministry worker. I get to say like, this means the most to me because of what it's done for my kids and my family. That's great. Yeah. And I love that you, you, you're starting a podcast around that. I mean, yes. that's, that's a great, um, I think, um, topic that probably hasn't been widely, um, 
you know, hit yet. I mean, yeah. I think podcasts now, there's a podcast for everything, mm-hmm. but um, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll put the, um, uh, in our notes, the, the, oh, the cool. stuff to connect our, our audience with your podcast. Yes. So they can check that out. Thank as well. you. That's That'd great. be awesome. Yep. Well, I'd like to kind of get into your story because I remember when you and I first uh, had our first phone conversation, you shared some of your journey and um, I'm not going to give any of that away, but it's powerful and I'm super excited for our audience to hear that. So um, wherever you'd like to start in your journey, I, I, I think your, your story needs to be heard. Sure. Well, thanks. Um, so I guess it starts a lot just kind of my home life. <laughs> just mm-hmm. growing up, um, I was a churched kid, um, raised in the church, did youth group, did, you know, summer youth camp, um, was supposed to go away to a Christian college. Um, and, but I guess my my church background was, was pretty legalistic. And it was a lot of do's and don'ts. And so by the time I hit high school age, I really didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Um, I liked all the things high schoolers like, you know, I liked partying, I liked boys, I liked cheerleading, I liked all those things. And I was just like, if I can't date this guy, cause you know, if I'm a Christian, if I can't listen to this music, if I'm a Christian. Mm. Um, and those were the things that were kind of taught to me again, kind of that, that legalistic Christian background. Um, and so I really did just stiff arm God and say, I don't want any part of this um, kind of, uh, you know, a story that sticks with me a lot was, you know, just being in high school and being at a party. And this one kid looked at me and he said, you're not a Christian, just because earlier in my years, I kind of did follow a lot of Christian things. And I remember, you know, being at a party and, you know, we're partying and he looks at me and he's like, you're not a Christian. You do this, you do that. And I remember looking at him and going, you're right, I'm not. And if I died today, I'd go to hell. (laughs) And it was like, and I actually ran into him like 10 years ago. And I remember running up to him and going, you don't know what that conversation did for me because it just helped me to really understand who I was, where I was. Um, There wasn't remorse in that time, but it really helped me to know, like, no, I really don't know the Lord, even though, you know, I was raised in this this church legalistic kind of home. But um, anyway, so I always kind of wrestled, though, being in those those Christian settings and situations where I know the Holy Spirit would be like tugging at my heart. Um, And I would and I would have those moments of remorse in my life and just feeling pulled toward God, but yet it would never be lasting. And, um, and I would just kind of go back to know, I kind of love my life that, you know, kind of crazy teenager life. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, you know, when I, when I was in my senior high school, I decided I was going to go away to a Christian college in Kentucky. And my plan with God was, okay, Lord, like, if I go away to this college with 600 Christian kids, you know, then I'll give my life to you. Then yeah. I'll finally follow you. Because I thought it'll be easy. I'll be away from all the temptations, you know, at home and, and friends and all of that. And a week before I was supposed to leave for college, I found out I was pregnant. Mm. And so I could not understand with like this deal I'd made with God <laughs> that I'm going to I'm going to finally give my life to you. I'm finally going to follow you, Jesus. You know, when I go away to college, how could I not go? 
Mm. Now that I'm pregnant. And so really, I, I knew in that moment, like I had to make an appointment for an abortion. And that's what I did. I was 18. I didn't have to tell anybody that I was going to have an abortion. Um, but I chose to tell my mom. Um, and How did she respond? Um, you know, I asked her the question, if I can't do this, because kind of going back to those early church years, I remember being at a week at church camp and we did a little breakout session on abortion. And so believe it or not, I had really deep convictions about abortion, mm -hmm. but that's how de desperate, hopeless, and just confused I was in that moment that it felt like it was the only option. And so I remember saying to her, what if I can't do this? Will you be able to support me? And her answer was no. And mm. so this is literally the evening before, you know, going to the abortion clinic the next day. And so she went with me and I mean, from the drive there, going into the clinic, um, I mean, I was just distraught, just crying and so sad. Um, but the night before, after I had that conversation with my mom, I, I did pray to God. And I always say this is probably the most desperate prayer to this day I've ever prayed, but it was, Lord, keep me from doing this because I can't keep myself from doing this. Wow. And, um, and that was really, truly just the cry of my heart. Like, I can't, I, I can't find a way to not do this. I can't find a reason to not do this. Lord, keep me from doing this. So I go to the clinic and 23 years ago, in the state of Ohio, the, the rules, the steps were, you watch a video on abortion, you talk to a psychologist about the abortion, and then you move on to the ultrasound and then the procedure. And so I watched the video crying, I mean, really just truly distraught crying pretty much the entire time I was there. And then I move on to meeting with the psychologist. And then at that point, I am sobbing because now I'm having to verbalize to someone why I'm there and that I'm going to do this. And I'm so I'm sobbing and I'm telling her, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, but I have to. I don't have a choice. And I was deemed mentally stable enough to go on to the procedure to have the abortion. And, you know, over the years, as I've shared my story, because I've had a lot of opportunities to share in different settings, um, and I think being in ministry has really helped me to see this. But so one of the things that I've, I've learned and have come to realize is in a matter of less than 24 hours, two trusted adults had failed me, Yeah, had failed to tell me I had another option, had failed to tell me they'd support me or that abortion, you know, maybe wasn't the right answer. Or I needed more time to think, right? Um, On top of the fact that you were already saying it. I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Yes. All it was, it was a confirmation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so um, I think that's just something I've really, I guess, just maybe the Lord just brought to light a little bit more in my life is like kids are just desperate for mm. guidance yeah. and leadership. And, um, and I didn't get that at all. And I try to really, as I've become just more into the pro-life movement and just being more vocal about that even um, over the last handful of years, I think I've just come to realize this. This is why women do this. 
because they're not told there's any other hope. They're yeah. not told there's any other way mm-hmm. out of these situations. Um, and so, so in that setting, you know, I have that, that meeting with that psychologist. I'm deemed mentally stable enough to move on to the next step. And the next step was the ultrasound. So I'm laying on that ultrasound table and the technician's, you know, doing it. And then she starts to have this puzzled look on her face. And she looks at me and she says, you're really far along. And then she said, you're six months pregnant. Were you not aware of that? No, Mm. no. And she said, you can't have this abortion today. Mm. And they went on to tell me, we can refer you elsewhere. You can you can still have this abortion, but you can't have it today. And in that moment, all the crying, all the sorrow <laughs> went from that to instant relief. And I remember verbalizing to her, God did not want me to do this. And, you know, normally when I speak in public and I share, you're six months pregnant, everyone's like, <gasps> Oh my gosh, you know, and I know people get hung up on how did you not know you're six months pregnant? And the reality is I went into that clinic thinking I was probably a month pregnant. I didn't look six months pregnant. I didn't feel six months pregnant. Again, the only person who knew was my mom because I had told her. Um, so I know God did a miracle. I don't know what the miracle was. All I know was yeah. the night before my prayer was keep me from doing this. And then here God intervenes and I get told, you cannot do this today. And um, I mean, I knew, I knew for even someone who, again, had stiff-armed God, said no to God over and over, it couldn't have been more abundantly clear to me that he had just intervened on my behalf. He had just answered my prayer. He had just shown up in preterm Cleveland (laughs) to save me and to save my daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it was just so undeniable. And so I did. I said, God did not want me to do this. That's what I said to that technician. And again, like I think in you know the world of Christianity and our mindsets, it's easy for people to think, of course, God didn't want you to do this. But you know, with being so confused, so distraught, so desperate having that component of, Lord, I'm going to go away to college and finally love you and serve you and and be committed to you. Um, I mean, it really was like, God did not want me to do this. Like, it couldn't have been more clear. Um, And so it was really in that abortion clinic that day that I finally surrendered my life to Christ. I said to him, um, and it wasn't fancy, it wasn't... (laughs) It was just, Lord, my life is so screwed up and I need you. Mm-hmm. And um, I was I was off the hook with my mom because um, I would say she was, she's was, um, I, I can't say I know where she stands on on this issue nowadays, but, but back then it was, you know, if it's early on, it's okay, but obviously six months pregnant, it wouldn't be okay. So I knew I was off the hook with her. Um, and so in that, in that moment, in that clinic, it's like, I knew I'm going to be a mom in three months. (laughs) And I knew I had to walk out of that clinic and go home and tell the father of the baby who wasn't my boyfriend anymore. You're going to be a dad in three months. Um, my cousin who I grew up with, um, 
she was going to be my college roommate in Kentucky. <laughs> and so I had to go home and tell her I wasn't going away to college with her. Um, I had to walk back in my church at some point and tell people why I wasn't gone at Kentucky Christian College. Um, and so I knew my life was screwed up going into that clinic. And I knew even though I just met Christ and he intervened and I saw God's goodness, I knew my life was still going to be really screwed up <laughs> after. And I knew yeah. I was about to be an 18-year-old teen mom. Um, so a couple days after being that in that abortion clinic, this is, again, just another um, amazing example of just how God meets us right where we're at. A friend of mine from high school came to my house and said, Christine, a fr my girlfriend's mom is starting a support group for teen moms, a Christian support group. Would you consider meeting her? And I said, sure. And um, at that point, my family had kind of gone from, you know, my mom from the abortion piece. But now that my whole family knew I was pregnant, then it was you should give the baby up for adoption. So that's kind of where I was at um, and what was being you know, kind of thrown at me when I met up with this person who was starting this Christian support group. So I go to this restaurant, meet with this woman. Um, her name's Betsy. And Betsy sat with me and she was a mom of eight. She had been a teen mom and didn't end up marrying the father of her child as a teen mom, um, but ended up marrying someone different. They went on to have seven kids together. Wow. And she had just gone on staff with Young Life, had no idea what Young Life was, had never heard of it, um, but had just gone on staff with Young Life to start their teen mom ministry in Cleveland. Wow. And so the cool thing, and even again, in that moment, none of this clicked, but as I look back at my life, I'm like, when you felt like no one even knew you were at that clinic, she was praying for teen moms in Cleveland. Yeah. She was praying for me. She was praying for this time that she was sitting with me in this restaurant. And she sat with me and she, I don't even know if she said the words young life at that time, but she just told me she was going to love me. She was going to walk alongside me. And she also gave me one of the greatest gifts. She said, did you ever think God just maybe wants you to have this baby? <laughs> and it felt so wrong. I mean, mm. as an 18-year-old, when, you know, you're not married and, and, and everything's wrong about your situation, to have someone look at you and say, did you ever think this is God wants you to have this yeah. baby? I mean, it felt like a thousand pounds lifted off my shoulders and... And it was just, it was so freeing. It was so, um, it was just beautiful to hear, like, could God really do something good with this? Mm. And um, she shared with me Jeremiah 29, 11. And I always laugh because I think now it's everywhere. You walk into Hobby Lobby and, you know, yeah. you can find 20 things with Jeremiah 29, 11 on it. Mm -hmm. At that time in my life, I had never heard that. I'd never heard that scripture. And she declared that over me. She said, for I know the plans I have for you, Christine, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And that is exactly what I thought even, even then, after coming to know Christ and meeting Christ, I still felt like being a teen mom, I was going to, I was losing my future. I was losing hope. Um, 
And for some reason, though, when she shared that scripture with me, I believed it. I believed it. And I think it was because I was just still so desperate for something to cling to. Um, but also, I'm sure the Holy Spirit was just really reassuring me, like, this is truth. This is what God mm. says. The world's going to tell you otherwise. Your family's going to tell you otherwise. But this is truth. And so um, that started a beautiful relationship with her. I would say um, Betsy mentored me, like really, really poured into me um, as a young life leader for about five years, um, invited me into her home, showed me how to be a mom, um, ended up kind of teaching me how to be a wife. Um, she mm -hmm. was there the day my daughter was born. She was there the day my daughter died. Mm -hmm. And so 20 some years later, we're still good friends. Um, and so her, um, I mean, her influence in my life and just the timing of just how good God was to put that person in my life. It was like, mm -hmm. he knew exactly what I needed in that moment. And, um, and it was really incredible. And it was just another, Another reassurance of like God was with me, that he was a part of my story, that he was actually taking care of me, that he was actually providing for me. Um, it was truly like the most, probably the most tangible example of hope he could give me sitting yeah. there with someone who had been a teen mom um, herself. So so that was my introduction to, to Young Life. Um, mm -hmm. And so as you can imagine, just another reason I believe in it so much, like who's doing this for yeah. teen moms? Yeah. Who's coming alongside teen moms, right? Yeah. We're good at saying we're pro-life, we're good at saying we're for life, um, but gosh, who in the world is entering into the lives of teen moms? Because yeah. there's a lot of dysfunction and a lot of challenges when you're yeah. a teen mom, you know? So, um, so fast forward then a couple months and I give birth to my daughter, Courtney, and she is born with medical challenges from the moment she came out of me. And um, she spent her first month and a half in the hospital and it was crazy hard, crazy hard. I felt like every day I was getting told something new was wrong, um, whether it was she needed a feeding tube or couldn't hear and was going to need hearing aids or, um, you know, her brain was abnormally developed, different things. And um, again, just to, I guess, reemphasize, like, I'm 18. And not only are you, you know, dealing with being a mom and being young and family dysfunction, but then you're thrown into this crazy world, this crazy medical world, right? Totally. Um, and, you know, I always think back and think like, gosh, what did what did these doctors and these nurses like think of me at the time, you know, cause I'm, there's just so many biases too in, in the medical world. Right. And so, um, but, but we, but I did feel really cared for and supported and um, I knew I had to just love her and advocate for her. And truly it started this beautiful journey in the medical world that I never knew I had a passion for. And, um, a love for but um so she was yeah just again month and a half in the hospital learning all these things that were going to be lifelong disabilities lifelong medical needs and um but i fell in love with her from the moment she 
came into my life. And I remember just uh, journaling a lot while she was in the hospital, praying a lot, um, praying for God to bring us an amazing dad for her. Um, I, I, I prayed a little bit about a husband, but primarily I was like, she needs a great dad. She mm. needs an amazing man in her life. And um, a few months after she was born, um, I met my husband, Dan, and we were friends for about 10 months um, till we started dating. And when we started dating, I couldn't understand for the life of me why he wanted anything to do with my life because um, he had watched my life for 10 months. He had seen us in and out of the hospital. I was you know, a single mom and living on welfare because I couldn't work because she needed so much care. And nothing about my life was appealing. <laughs> I can promise you that. I mean, court was amazing. Um, and, and I think he saw the beauty in her and he saw the, the beauty in me. But from my perspective, there was nothing to attract him to our lives. But yet um, he stepped into our lives and became a father to her and loved me. And again, we've been married 21 years now. And um, God just did something so uh, so remarkable with the two of them, yeah. for sure. It was uh, pretty incredible. Um, so uh, then a handful of years into our marriage, um, I started doing missions work uh, in El Salvador. And on my and I kept going back year after year because I loved it. And um, there was a children's home started by a, a girl from our church, and so that's how I got connected with this children's home. And so on my third trip, I met this little boy named Kevin, and Kevin was three years old and weighed fourteen pounds, and he had disabilities. He was the only kid at the children's home that had disabilities um, at the time, and so. My heart, of course, was drawn toward him because, yeah. you know, just of our situation with Courtney. And, um, but the only thing that really I felt compelled to do was like, we could become sponsors for him. We could start to send money for Kevin to make sure he has one-on-one -on -one caregivers and all that. And so we started to do that from, you know, afar, from um the United States. And so um, then the next year I went back and he was four years old and 14 pounds. And then the next year I went back and oh he was goodness. five years old and 14 pounds. And this was with one-on-one -on -one care. This was with, you know, an amazing Christian children's home, um, caring for him. Um, one of the only children's hospitals in all of Central America is in San Salvador. So he had all the specialists involved in his care. And yet this kid couldn't gain weight. He was pretty miserable. Um, and I'll be honest, he terrified me because you would pick him up and you'd feel like he was just going to fall apart. He was literally like bones with skin on. But it was during that trip um, when Kevin was five years old that I was reading um, a book by Johnny Eric Sentata about mm -hmm. suffering. And um, she's just one of my heroes, of course, sure. and just a, a hero of the faith, period, right? But, mm -hmm. um, you know, but in this book, she was, and I was actually reading this book about suffering. It's called When God Weeps, because I feel like just in my life with Courtney and the things we experienced and the things we have walked through, I just always needed that reassurance of God, who are you in the midst of suffering, right? And, and so I wasn't reading this book for Kevin, 
But one of the things she really spoke about in that book was just how we are the hands and feet of Christ. And we see so clearly in scripture how Jesus alleviated suffering, bent over backwards to alleviate it, Mm. and how that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. And she said, like, we want to blame God for suffering, but we don't want to do the work to alleviate it. And the Holy Spirit just used that to show me, like, we're supposed to do something for Kevin, something more than just send money. And... It terrified me to even think the word adoption, terrified me. And so I kind of went the route more of like, okay, maybe we could get him a medical visa, get him to Cleveland, get him some good care, and then send him back. (laughs) But I went home from that trip and I said to Dan, I was like, maybe we're supposed to adopt him. And again, everything in me was like, no, 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 no. We can't do this. We can't. Our plates are so full. Like we yeah. don't have room. We were living in a two-bedroom apartment. Everything about our lives, none of that ever would have made sense. But we really said, like, okay, let's really pray about this. We bought a Bible study about adoption. And this Bible study, I loved it because it actually had us write out the pros and cons. And because we knew him, we were able to you know, make this list specific to Kevin since this would be an identified adoption. And our list of cons was probably five times longer than our list right. of pros. And and it was good. I mean, it was a good list. I always say that like <laughs> anybody could read this list and be like, you're right. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you have every reason not to. From, you know, we live in a two-bedroom apartment. We don't even have a room for him. We're, we're Dave Ramsey people. We're working to get out of debt. Like we don't have $30,000 to adopt him. How do you push two kids in wheelchairs? Um, what do you do when you call 911 at two in the morning and one of them needs to go to the hospital? Um, I mean, just so many things we came up with on why. And really our biggest objection to God was, Lord, we're content. Like, we didn't want to have more kids. We were good with just court. But yet, this Bible study took us through scripture then on mm-hmm. what does God say about adoption? What does God say about hospitality? What does God say about caring for the least of these? Um, wow. And probably our biggest thing was, you know, in Matthew 25, where it says, whatever you do for the least of these, you've done for me. And Dan kind of just got to a point where he was like, None of these reasons, they're good enough for people, but yeah. none of these reasons are good enough for God. Wow. And so we said, okay, we're going to pursue Kevin. And um, it was crazy hard. So El Salvador adopts out less than 10 kids a year. And um, it took four years to get him. So he came home to us at nine years old. He was 18 pounds. He literally wore 12-month-old baby clothes at oh nine years gosh. old. Um, and this kid, like, <laughs> he is, again, terror, just terrified us. I mean, I remember the night we adopted him, we're in our, like, apartment hotel type thing, and he starts throwing up blood, and we're like, and this is something he oh, had done, so but it was still like, I remember just crying to Dan and go, what did we do? What yeah. did we do? And so it was this total dependence on the Lord and yet this fighting your flesh of like 
this is scary. This is going to be crazy. What did we just get ourselves into? And so I'd love to say I, I'm one of those people that was just like, yes, Lord, we're supposed to adapt. But the reality was it was just completely just saying yes to Jesus over and over and over again through the process. I mean, we saw so many hiccups, so many challenges. And yet we also saw God's faithfulness of we raised $40,000 in the blink of an eye to bring them there. You know, our church yeah. rallied around us. Um, Stephen Curtis Chapman's ministry, you know, we got grants from organizations like that. And, um, you know, the, the money was easy. You know, by the time he came home, we were living in a house, had a room for him, all of that. But man, it was hard. It was hard. Yeah. Um, but it definitely taught me like, the will of God, nothing, just because something's easy or something's hard doesn't indicate whether it's God's will, right? Like his word is is his will. We knew we were in the will of God, even though it was challenge after challenge after challenge and having to continue to just persevere and persevere and say yes to the Lord over and over and over again. Um, but probably within six months, Kev became this fat, chubby little <laughs> little guy. And um, I really felt like, what are we doing? Because nothing crazy happened. Um, we never got like this, you know, diagnosis. He went right to Rainbow when he came home to Cleveland, to Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital. Our physicians who we had built relationships with Courtney and her care, you know, had heard about him for four years and were ready and waiting for him and did a full workup on him. Um, never got like a real concrete diagnosis for him, um, which was really interesting. And so really just being in a family, being in a home, um, yeah. having, you know, better care. Um, we just watched him just change what, in what felt like a blink of an eye. And I remember the first time we like Skyped with the children's home, one of the kids said, did he get stung by a bee? Cause he oh looks swollen <laughs> and he really did. He just, God just restored his little body um, in so many ways. And he made so much progress. Um, I mean, he's still very much disabled and nonverbal, mm. non-mobile. Um, and it's crazy how all the things that absolutely ter terrified us all the things we could have used as excuses to say no to God. Um, they're things we just figured out, you know, how do you take care of two kids when one's in the hospital? Um, yeah. You know, different things like that. And uh, we somehow made it work. And um, he's been just one of the greatest joys in our life and wow. has changed us and has just shown us how God really does want to use us to be his hands and his feet in this mm -hmm. broken world, right? Yeah. Um, and even though Kevin's not, you know, fixed, right? It's still like we're supposed to alleviate suffering as much as we can, you know? And so mm -hmm. we look at his life and it's like he has a family. He has great care. He has everything he needs. He, I mean, he never even at nine years old, it's like he had never even gotten to go to school in El Salvador because there isn't a place for kids like him. And so, you know, he's now obviously been in school all these years and so many things. So it's just really been really, really hard. Um, I'll never, I'm a very honest person. <laughs> it's, it's really, really hard, but, yeah. um, but it's been 
definitely one of the greatest joys of our life to get to serve him. And because it was an identified adoption, um, and a lot of times kids in El Salvador that are in children's homes, <clears throat> excuse me, the families maintain guardianship. So we actually got to build a relationship with like his grandpa who had legal rights over him, who had to agree to let us adopt him. And so it's fun because we're friends with you know, his family on Facebook. We got to go meet some of his family in Boston a handful of years ago. Um, his birth mom and I are friends on Facebook, so she gets to see him. Oh, and wow. you just realize like the extent of when we choose to say yes to God, like it's not just between us and God and Kevin, like this extended to his grandpa and our friend Rachel who runs the children's home. I may remember the day we were leaving El Salvador and she was saying goodbye to him and handed him over to me and she just said, I don't have to worry anymore. And and not in a way like, oh, I'm glad to get rid of Kevin because she loved sure. him so much, but she just lived with this fear of, is he going to make it? Yeah. And And she just felt this incredible peace handing him over to us. And so you just see the extent that our obedience um, and just following Christ can impact so many. That's good. Talk to me a little <laughs> bit about then um, the journey with Courtney mm. and 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 what that was like. And um, obviously, you've alluded a couple of times she's not with us anymore. Yeah. Kind of kind of her life. Yeah. Um, well, same thing. I would say it was hard. Very very hard. Um, we we ran kind of a little ICU from our home, mm. and um, we we gave her just a high 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 level of care in our home. And um, you know, you're a counselor, mm -hmm. <laughs> as you can imagine. It's like we we lived in a kind of fight or flight mode, right, for yeah. 21 years. And um, and yet, I would say this, like. I knew that day in that abortion clinic, I may not have been able to verbalize it at that time, but God saved her. He saved her for a great purpose. I mean, he set her apart for great things. And, um, and I watched that. I watched for 21 years, just miracle after miracle. I watched the way God used her in only a way he could use Courtney to bring people to Christ Mm -hmm. Um, to just, I mean, silly, silly story, not even silly. It's a, it's a big deal in the world of running and Disney, but you know, my husband, um, found out that she loved running, that she loved being pushed in races oh, wow. and, um, both of our kids had their make-a-wish trips at Disney world. And so Disney is a huge part of our story, huge part of our lives. And, um, and so he said, you know, for her birth, her 16th birthday, I want to push her and want to push her 19.3 miles at Disney World in one of their wow. run Disney events. Wow. And we find out that Disney has a no mobility aid policy that they will not let wheelchairs, walkers, crutches, anything like that, unless you are self-propelling, you cannot participate in Disney races. And special needs parents, a lot of times, don't take no for an answer well. <laughs> so right. we were like, well, that's not going to fly. <laughs> 
so, you know, he got the U.S. Track and Field Federation involved and just advocated like crazy. And Disney changed their whole policy. No kidding. And he pushed her over 100 miles before she passed away at Disney year after year. Oh, my God. And every year there were more and more push duos involved. And even this one huge running organization has thousands of participants all over the country that get pushed in races. The founder of that contacted Dan when he found out Disney changed their policy. And he was just like, dude, you're my hero because we've been trying for years, you know. And um, and so, I mean, even that, like, I mean, Disney's a big organization to get them to say we're going to we're going to change this. I mean, it was absolutely huge. And so, um, you know, and then just an example, like my niece came to Young Life Camp with us as Court's buddy and they her and Court were best friends. Court's whole life practically. And um, she accepted Christ at Young Life Camp. And mm. she said, Aunt Christine, do you know why I wanted to say yes to Jesus? Because I want what Courtney has. Oh my. And, um, and so to see the power of God, to see how God uses what the world would say there's no use for, there's no purpose. And to see how God used Courtney literally to bring someone to Christ Um, And just to have this remarkable story that thousands of people have heard, um, you see purpose in that. But then you also just see like, we wouldn't have had a heart for Kevin if it wasn't for her, right? Um, But I mean, her journey was definitely challenging to say the least. Um, But I would also say like she lived life to the fullest. Our family has made the choice to live life to the fullest. Um, And that has taken intentionality, that has taken, um, you know, a lot of organization, but also, you know, being able to say, like, we're going to travel, we're going to get on a plane, we're going to go to Disney World, we're going to go to California, we're going to do this or do that. And um, her life was just really full. And even, um, Mm. you know, getting to be in school with significant disabilities and not be, you know, stuck at home. she was so present in her community. I mean, just another example, like she just made friends everywhere she went. And so like Cleveland Zoo, like the rhino keeper, we got to build a relationship with him. And so it's like you have the rhino keeper at her funeral, right? Like mm. coming and And again, that that's easy to miss. But when you really think of like the exposure she had because we were intentional in saying her life is meant to be full. She's meant to be in her community. She's meant to build relationships. Um, And she did it so well. And I really do believe like she helped people to see disability different. Mm. She helped take the fear out of disability for a lot of people. And um, whether it was nurses who came and worked in our home that were like, you know, hey, I've worked at the Cleveland Clinic for 10 years and then I just had a baby and I don't want to go back there. And they're walking into home care going, I've never, ever interacted with someone with a disability. Mm -hmm. And then they're thrown into this world of, we're going to school with her, we're taking her here and taking her there. And and their lives change, you know, because of that interaction. Um, But her her last seven weeks of her life were spent at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, And even that, we just... uh, her, her story, I should say, when she got Disney to change their rules, um, 
that story made it on national news, which was really awesome. Channel mm -hmm. 3 did a story here in Cleveland, and then Channel 3 affiliates all over the country um, picked up that story. And we decided to start a nonprofit foundation from that. Um, raising money for different causes in the special needs community um, with their running. And now that court's gone, Dan pushes Kevin. And yeah. so Kev ran his last uh, last year 19.3 miles at Disney World in honor of court. Um, and so that's something we just realized, like, Lord, you've given us a platform here. You, yeah. you know, we broke down this barrier and now let's do something good with this. Let's, um, let's you know yeah, do something good and be present. And um, and so when she was passing away um, or those last seven weeks before she passed away, um, the nurses at the Cleveland Clinic knew we were trying so hard to get her to Disney for this final race for her. And as it became more and more apparent that wasn't gonna happen, they surprised us with a video where each one of them ran a mile for her. No way. And, um, and they brought the laptop to her and Dan. I was at home with Kevin, but I was, you know, on a video call. And they each ran for her, just cheering her on. And these incredible nurses, um, we told Disney about it. Disney sent them all running medals um, oh for gosh. running this half marathon, basically, for her. And um, the CEO of the Cleveland Clinic just gave them an award for you know, doing this race for Courtney and um, the news just did a story on this. And um, and so you just see this incredible impact, this incredible, it, 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 it truly is like a mission field yeah. where you just get to, um, and I didn't feel like we were doing anything exceptional um, during those seven weeks other than just loving her and caring for her well. Um, but we've also learned in the world of disability that um, to love someone well and to care for someone well, um, even just treating them with dignity and respect of, yeah. you know, she was always so clean and so cute and um, it stands out. It stands out. And, and we really felt like that was just another way God allowed us to just show the world his great love by just caring for her well. Um, you know, being advocates, um, that's hard. And, you know, I, one of the things the Lord has had to teach me and work on me was, um, you know, you're not always going to be liked if you're advocating. Sure. Um, but, you know, this is who the Lord's entrusted to my care. And, and I think more often than not, I think the medical world saw that we knew her, we knew her well. And, we were advocating out of love for her. And um, yeah. and I think when people see that, they see Christ. Um, mm. And so we looked at all those things as just really an honor to get to just love her and care for her. And we just, just loved her so much. And um, losing her uh, was incredibly, incredibly hard. I mean, it's hard every single day without her. Um, and I think because we just poured into her so much and had this beautiful relationship with her. But um, God couldn't have made it any more clear that she was where she was supposed to be when she passed away, surrounded by the people she was supposed to be surrounded by. Um, and like everything about it was perfect. Mm. And it's really hard to say, and I don't want to sound like superficial saying that, but like, 
we just saw his hand in every single detail that there's never been a moment of like, why God, why at this time, why here, why, um, there's so much grief, but not, not, not why. Um, Mm. and we've asked why a lot in our journey with her, but he made it so abundantly, um, clear that he was a part of every detail, um, when she passed away. And so, yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss. You know, it, you. it's it, it never. Um, I think it gets easy, but it. Your story, Christine, is incredible to me because at 18 years old there was a cross in the road, and God certainly intervened, and the the choices that you made from there have certainly changed the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, the life of, of Courtney and, um, you know, the life of now Kevin wouldn't, in that very moment, would have completely changed. The, the, yeah. this, the story you and I would be having right now would be completely different. Yep. And um, so I, I just, it, it, it overwhelms me when I hear these um, moments where the Holy Spirit just does things that are beyond us. You know, the idea that at 18 <laughs> years true. old, you would be in an abortion clinic, not knowing you're six months pregnant. And I mean, I mean, all this stuff, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't script this no, stuff. No, I and, know and, it. And those are the things that just time and time again, remind me of why God is so real in, in, um, in our lives, not yeah. somebody that's not active and just kind of watching this mm-hmm. mess of a world go, but actively participating in what we're doing. Yep. Um, so thank you for sharing your yes. story. Um, I always want to ask, um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience as, as we kind of um, come to our, our end of, of this podcast? Well, I think as you just kind of said so well, um, I think, you know, when you're, when your life is full of things that are hard, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you just get these amazing you know, opportunities to see just how real God is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I do think like my passion has just been to just share that and just get to really share with people like he's real and he shows mm-hmm. up yeah. and he comes into our stories when we don't deserve it, when we don't expect it. Yeah. Um, and he really can use the hardest things for his good, for his glory, um, things that we would never choose for ourselves, right? Like yeah. that that to me is like, if I could have written this story, if I could have scripted it, it wouldn't look anything like not, this. No. I would never have mm-hmm. picked this. And yet I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you for picking, That's writing this story. Yeah. Um, and, and and even as human beings in our flesh, we would never say things like that. We would never thank God for adversity and trials and disability and all the things in our, in our flesh that we resist and say no to and would say no to if given the choice. Mm-hmm. And then yet we see His goodness just overwhelm us and His faithfulness. And then you're just like in awe, right, of this God who just does such great things and so that's just that's just my heart my passion is like i just want people to see that i want people to see that he is real that he is good um that we don't have to have it all together that he will 
show up in an abortion clinic to do his work, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Christine, thank you so much. Sure, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. God bless you. You too. Well, what a story of battling life and its adversities, but still being able to see God's ability to write something we could have never imagined. Thank you, Christine, for sharing with our audience and with me the journey you and your family have been on. Incredible to see how God can show up in the 11th hour and make miracles happen. You may think God may not show up where you're at. Christine was inside an abortion clinic, and God showed up and changed her life for eternity. That is so encouraging. Well, thank you for listening. Please share this episode along with others, with your loved ones and your friends. This world needs to hear these stories. Well, until next time, or when our Savior comes, God bless.